Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Dersham and I have a great show for you tonight. We like to start when we can with the Supreme Court right at the top, not just because Larry and I are both lawyers, but because the Supreme Court by nature only takes up the really important cases, the cases where there's a split of opinion, there is disagreement, widespread debate over a particular type of issue. And that is no less true this week. Before the Supreme Court this week was an argument over whether public schools can discipline students over something they say off campus. Now, isn't that in the news a lot lately? I mean, it's one thing to say somebody was disrupting school or learning or, or the, the environment of peace that we're supposed to have on campus. And it's possibly also another thing to say somebody in uniform, in a school uniform, wearing a letterman's jacket, whatever it is, representing the school in some capacity, did or said something off campus, especially if it's in violation of what we call the athlete's code of conduct. But what if? What if a student on his or her own time, out of uniform, off school grounds and off the clock, as we say, uses a swear word? Is that something that a school can regulate? So we often talk about the long arm of the law. One of the cases the Supreme Court heard this week was about the long arm of the school. So this is what I sometimes call the case of the cursing cheerleader. This is a 14-year-old young lady that used some profanity in a tirade on Snapchat that led to her, and it had to do in part at least with her frustration as to not making the varsity cheerleading squad. She was on the JV squad. And it led to her being suspended for a year from the JV squad. And her parents, others uh, obviously sued because this is a this was a problem they believed and that should the school have the authority to police profanity when it is out of uniform off campus. And that has really created quite a stir because it really remains a trend that we've seen in the last couple of years as there's been inconsistent enforcement as to how much discipline a school really can meet out over something a student says on his or her time off campus. You know, Larry, one of the things that I know um, was significant about a case like this is that nobody overheard her swearing. Instead, it was something said on social media, but not just any platform. Larry, where did she say it? Right. She said it, Wendy, on a, it's an application called Snapchat. And Snapchat, one of its features is that pictures and messages that you send out on Snapchat are available only for a short time before they become inaccessible to the recipient. So it kind of disappears. Right. And I think that's important here because, and obviously we're on the air, so we can't repeat what she said. Let's just say that it included um, profanity. Now I know people say, oh, profanity, what does that mean? I mean, Larry, let's face it, when you and I grew up, we would never hear on television the types of things that we hear today. Yeah. Let's just say you all, you still would not hear what, uh, what this young lady put on Snapchat. But Snapchat is um, a different type of social media. And obviously it's something where things only remain for a period of time and then they disappear. But would it have mattered if she had spoken these words in person. I mean, Larry, if I catch you cursing at a Padre game when you watch a bad play, and I know <laughs> you have never heard you say a curse word, so maybe you're a bad example. 
But if I overheard your son or daughter or granddaughter, or whoever it was, should that be treated any differently? Um, and should that potentially subject you to discipline at your school than if you used a swear word on social media? And if so, why? Yeah, I don't think so, Wendy. Uh, there was an interesting uh, comment by a Soviet dissident. His name is Nathan Saransky. And he has what they call, having grown up and lived in the Soviet Union, he calls it the town square test. It's a method of distinguishing between free societies and fear societies. And the fact is, can you express your opinions out loud uh, when you're you know, walking at a shopping mall, when you're taking a walk in the neighborhood, or do you look over your shoulder and make sure nobody's listening in? That would be a fear uh, society. But we live in a free society. We were raised, Wendy, in a free society. So is it changing? I think it's, I don't approve of cursing, but uh, this has gone way too far. Basically, they're monitoring all of our speech. And I just, in a way, I can't believe this case made it to the Supreme Court. But here we are. And, and Larry, you bring up some really good points. And I, you and I are often on the same page with this. I don't approve of cursing either. Uh, and one of the things that we have to remind ourselves is, we have to distance ourselves from personal beliefs and in, in upholding constitutional values. And the constitutional value at issue here is the First Amendment right to free speech. So I just want to point out for our listeners, um, cases like this, including this one, this young lady was not committing a crime. Um, she wasn't harassing or cyberbullying. She was committing what sometimes we call conduct unbecoming. Now, that is one of the reasons that the Supreme Court's ruling in this case may have much farther reaching application because we've seen many people lose their jobs over conduct unbecoming. How do you define that term? And it's the definition of terms and the vagaries that exist in some of these athletes' codes of conduct, um, codes of conduct that, that employers use, where and when it would it be appropriate to use the F word, that was the word that was used in this case, where and when would that be used where it wouldn't result in some sort of an employment or an educational sanction? And that's why this case was, was brought is because they said nobody approves that this 14 year old would use that word. But should it have resulted in being suspended from the JV cheerleading squad for a year? Now, by the way, the lower court reinstated her. But that just brought more attention to the issue because other jurisdictions haven't had such positive rulings. They have actually resulted in censure being upheld. And one other thing, Larry, you and I as lawyers, and, and I know our listeners too, we don't like slippery slopes. So if a student is going to, if a school is going to be policing profanity, will they also be policing politics? So where would it end where a school would decide that the type of speech that a student is engaging in off campus, out of uniform, uh, where you can actually sanction somebody for what they did, said, or believed is really what we're talking about off campus and on their own time. Isn't it amazing how the First Amendment, I think a 12-year-old could easily understand it. You know, Congress shall make no law uh, abridging the freedom of speech or assembly, and then that's applicable to the states through the 14th Amendment. But um, here we are doing this fine-tuning of free speech. And, uh, of course, this stemmed from the, the famous case that back in 1969 of Tinker versus Des Moines Independent Community School District, a Supreme Court case where these, I think it was a brother and a sister, they wore the black armbands to school uh, protesting the Vietnam War. And uh, 
the court came out in favor of the students, declaring students don't shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Okay, that's going into the schoolhouse gate, but how about, in this case, the cheerleader, she was outside the schoolhouse gate. So I'm thinking the Supreme Court, uh, Supreme Court will come in favor, uh, decide in favor of, of uh, the cheerleader. What's really interesting about the case that you cite, Larry, is that many people who have heard this story are surprised that it took the Supreme Court 50 years to revisit this issue. Now, not that they haven't revisited or discussed it in some sense over the years, but many people believe that this could be the most significant case on student speech in more than 50 years. And it's also interesting that the case you cite, uh, the black armband case, that was about symbolic speech, where here we actually have explicit uh, speech in the form of profanity. Now, that's also interesting because, you know, adolescents, as do adults, sometimes we have bad days. And on bad days, perhaps you're more likely than not to say something you're going to regret, which might include using a word that we would not like to hear or that we shouldn't hear out of a 14-year-old or an adult, for that matter. Um, But it happens. And so should it have the kind of ramifications as it had here? Now, um, really, uh, there are other things at issue regarding schools and regarding speech, Larry, that are on our docket for today, shall we say. Are there not? Oh, absolutely. There are. And and the big, uh, I think the biggest issue now that I'm hearing in schools, oh, one of many big issues is the critical uh, race theory. And basically, it goes in the face of our beloved Dr. Martin Luther King, who said uh, in his famous speech in the Washington Mall on August 28th, 1963, he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will be not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. We all strive for that, Wendy. But now with this critical race theory, it seems to me they're trying to put this thing about race, which we're okay with race. God created all of us. God loves all of us equally, but they're trying to bring it up. Uh, the color of your skin is not right. And you, and you're always going to be, uh, you know, discriminating against, uh, a certain group of people. They're trying to pit one group against another group. And there's a plan to it, Wendy. Uh, just briefly, it's, in my opinion, in my study, it's communism. They want to have dissension. They want to have ruckuses stirred up so they can provide the solution through their government programs. And this is done on purpose. And it's it's not healing our nation. It's dividing our nation. So I would just say to everybody, don't let them divide you. We are one race, the human race. It will always be that way. Yeah, you know, I, I know that there's more attention being paid to some of these issues um, nowadays than, than ever. I mean, I don't remember talking about half of the topics you and I talked about on Saturdays when we were growing up. Um, and again, we have to remember there's so many people out there that really value all that we have in common and believe that there's more that unites us than divides us. And when we talk about what our kids are learning in school, many people look at it exactly through that lens. And how can we come together and all agree for the health and prosperity and all of the things that that we stand for in the Constitution, that can we come up with a curriculum that encompasses everything that we love and avoids um, the divisive issues that maybe don't need to be as prevalent when we're talking about teaching eight and nine-year-olds as perhaps might be more appropriate on a college campus. These are just items for discussion, and and I know that we're going to um, continue to discuss them as we go along. But we are going to take a short commercial break, but don't touch that dial, folks, as we used to say as, as Larry and I were growing up. 
Because when we return, you're going to meet the founder and president of one of the largest investment companies in the U.S., who's going to give you his take on why so many of our large corporations seem to be delving into political, social, and particularly um, divisive, shall we say, cultural causes. We will be back in a flash. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Great job, Cameron. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. No worries. I know you guys always do a great job there. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Great job, Wendy. Yeah, Larry, that was great. Yes. Good job. Can't wait to see the background when we get that video. I think you're going to like it. Yeah, I think so. Your background's great, too. Perfect, actually. I matched it to yours. (laughs) (laughs) You see the blue neon? (laughs) (laughs) I hope you're having fun with your green screen, too. I haven't really used it. I I, I need to set it up. I've got it, but I'll... uh, one of these days, very soon, you know, you could it. record podcasts and things. Okay, we'll have to do that idea you had about some extra podcasts. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah, like stuff that we don't get to that you prepare. You can just do in the form of a podcast. Yeah, I can do it with you. Well, maybe be some fun. sometime when you're you don't you're not so busy, which is never. <laughs> let me know, and we could we could well, do week, it. Weekdays, I can do it because okay. weekday weekdays, I can do it. Like, um, you know, it, it's a lot easier for me. Weekends are tough, but weekdays, I can definitely do it. Oh, very cool. Like this okay. is always a good time. Eight o'clock is always a good time, or maybe slightly even before. Okay. Before things heat up. Thank you for these great questions, by the way. Oh, sure. So awesome. So is it Arthur Alley? I think he just goes by Art, but it is, yeah. T- art, okay. I am here. Oh, hey, Art, this is Larry Dersham. You remember me? <laughs> right. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> uh, well, you got it right. It's Art, not Arthur. I overheard that little comment. Okay, so we'll just awesome. go with Art. Okay. Hey, yeah. Art, thank you for joining the show. We're excited to have you. Well, it's going to be uh, fun. How long are we going to do? Uh, just 12 minutes max. So I'll, I'll introduce you, Art, and that's going to take a little bit of time, not too long. And then probably okay. time for three or four questions. I'll uh, I'll introduce you, then Wendy will ask you a question, then I'll ask you a question, and Wendy and, and me, and then Wendy will close it out. It'll go by. It'll fly by. 
Got it. Art, I'm going to ask you about having three three children, ten grandchildren, and eleven great grandchildren. What a blessing that must be. I love that. Oh, really? <laughs> Is that okay if I ask you that? It's just so endearing. <laughs> no, you can. You sure can. But that makes me sound so old. Oh, you're you're not old. You're just a, a very young person. <laughs> You're We're having 11 <laughs> great-grandchildren, right? Okay, you know what? How about I just, just leave it at the grandchildren? I won't say the 11 no, great-grandchildren. No, no, no. You do whatever you want. Ask what you want. I'll try to answer, and i try not to be too verbose. No, okay. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, Cameron, we're ready to roll. No, that sounds great. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. So as always, we have a very interesting guest joining us for our second half. Uh, somebody that we are thrilled to get and very interested in hearing his perspective. Larry, who do we have on the line today? Yes, Winnie, I'm really privileged to uh, introduce Art Alley. He's the founder and president of the Billion Dollar Timothy Plan, the nation's leading biblically-based pro-life, pro-family investment company. Timothy Plan offers 12 mutual funds and four ETFs, and we're going to find out what a little bit more about that later, that undergo stringent moral screening criteria designed to avoid investing shareholders' money in any company that produces or participates in products or activities that are contrary to a traditional uh, biblical view of the world. Art's also very passionate about identifying and equipping willing pastors with a rock-solid biblical worldview foundation so they can then equip their congregations to engage in biblically uh, a biblical worldview perspective. Uh, and basically we're in a war for America's soul. So the work he's doing is amazing. So welcome to the program, Art. Wow. I don't think I, <laughs> I wish my wife could have heard all that. She's been impressed. <laughs> Well, she can. We're going to share the podcast with you, so she can. You can play it oh, for great. her. I think that's great. Okay, great. And Art, great. Speaking, of, speaking of family, in addition to all of these professional accomplishments, one thing I found very endearing and very impressive was that you and your wife have three children, but you also have 10 grandchildren and 11 great-grandchildren. What a blessing. I cannot imagine what a family dinner, what a Thanksgiving dinner table looks like <laughs> at your house. I mean, I, it's especially a blessing during the course of the pandemic. So um, thank you so much for all of the great stuff you do. Uh, but I uh, also thanks, understand Wendy. that, yeah, I understand you, you incorporate a lot of your values into some of your speaking. And how exactly do you manage to balance the personal and the professional, given that you have so much invested in, in both worlds? Well, I guess you start with not caring what people think of you, so you can tell them whatever you think. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, the you know we are, and and Larry said it so well. We're in a war for the soul of America, and we better take it pretty seriously. And uh, when you're in a war, you know you've got two choices, as far as I can tell. 
you either engage or you surrender. And surrender never made any sense to me because you lose. Uh, but uh, I am, I am uh, encouraged. Uh, many of the listeners may be discouraged with what they see going on with these Marxists trying to take over America. Uh, forgive me for saying it, but that's what's happening. Uh, however, there is a major pushback uh, that uh, we are seeing all over this nation, from state leaders to uh, ministry leaders, and we are trying, as Larry said, to equip pastors because they are ill-equipped to deal with this culture biblically. And uh, we do that through what I call boot camps, uh, or training sessions like three days and three nights, and we got one coming up in June uh, for 200 right here in Orlando. 200 pastors and their wives at their Gaylord Palms, and they are going to be equipped to engage in this upside down war that uh, we didn't ask for, but we're in it. Uh, so I don't know how I balance things. I just kind of keep moving. That's great, Art. I understand that. Uh, well, you actually spoke about it. Uh, just now that you you speak at a lot of pastor conferences, and uh, one of your uh, favorite admonitions is that uh, the problems that are facing America today can be laid directly at the doorstep of the church. What did you mean by that? Wow. I'm, uh, you guys did some good research. Um, I have been known to say that because I believe it is true, Wendy, uh, when I was growing up, which once you expanded my family was a long time ago, uh, the church was the guardian of the culture. Over the last 40 or 50 years, we have seen the church decline as being the guardian of the culture and, in fact, even embrace the culture. And, you know, I've got, uh, my friend George Barna, uh, does a lot of research on the condition of Christianity in America. And his research, you know, people can give lip service and say whatever they want to say, but he digs down and finds out what they really believe and, and how they live, that only 8% of active evangelicals that actively, uh, regularly attend church, only 8% have a biblical worldview. Hmm. It didn't you know, to be um, that way. I, I am very, very familiar with those statistics, having researched them for my uh, PhD, which is in theology. And part of the, uh, I suppose, part of the question that everybody has when you look at statistics like that and you read about what's happened and over the years, since you've already admitted you've been alive a long time, let me ask you, what do you <laughs> think accounts for that, frankly, stunning statistic regarding the biblical views, even of people that are attending church. Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, and, and my wife will tell you, I am frequently wrong, but never in doubt. So when I say I think, <laughs> it's only what I think. Um, I, I believe when in the early days when, when I was growing up, pastors went into the pulpits kicking and screaming, God called them uh, to that role. Over the years, that has changed, and it has now become a career path for people. And uh, that's a game changer. When it is a career path, 
you are going to be less offensive. You are going to water down God's message. You know, and the Bible is very offensive against sin. Uh, but you're not going to offend your big givers, and it's become kind of a marketing and entertaining uh, uh, exercise uh, instead of the the proclaiming the unadulterated Word of God, which equips the congregation to be able to deal with what's going on today. Uh, Unfortunately, today, uh, we have incorporated the world into the church to make it more pleasing uh, to the general world. And boy, does God have an attitude about that in Scripture. Uh, So I think that's that's true. I think that's what's going on, Uh, among other things. uh, You know, seminaries have been infiltrated. They don't even teach the Bible anymore. They teach how to how to fill pews and increase uh, uh, offerings and tithes and all of that. Uh, but what the people need today is the Word of God and how it incorporates into their life. Because when you're a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, you're not a Christian for an hour on Sunday morning. You are a Christian in the way you leave your life seven days a week. Uh, Amen. You better look in the mirror and and ask yourself some serious questions. Wow. Art, this is going more into what the Timothy plan does, but I just had this question I've been thinking about. Why do you think some of America's largest corporations, such as Delta Airlines, which I love, I used to fly them all the time, uh, and Coca-Cola seem to be taking sides in our country's political and cultural wars for example, Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola, and the uh, Major League Baseball recently took actions to get Tim, uh, condemn Georgia's new election integrity law that was just designed to make an election or voting easier and cheating harder. Why are they taking sides like that so many times against what common sense would say? Well, I guess they've been in- infiltrated and, and people have worked their way up into in, you know, the white ivory tower, so to speak. Um, and they are, uh, uh, the other thing I'm known for saying, you know, we're in the investment industry. We are a mutual fund family, but wall street is not our friend. They are very active in funding evil. And this thing you just described broke my heart, uh, because at Timothy, we have a, a board of 12 trustees that meet quarterly to exercise oversight over everything we do to make sure we're staying in compliance with everything. Uh, And uh, in May of every year, we have our quarterly meeting in the city of one of our money managers. And this May, we're having it in in about three weeks in Dallas, Texas. And it's a day and a half event, and we're serious about looking at it. But we always, on Friday night, do a fun thing. And I had reserved a large suite at the Texas Rangers ballpark for their game with the Houston Astros for our Friday night event for 60 people. And when they, when major league uh, uh, baseball came on and pulled that game from Atlanta, for goodness sakes, uh, you know, because for Whatever else you want, you don't want fair elections. I mean, whoever wants that. Uh, So how you know? uh, How could I support them? And we just canceled that, and we replaced it with another event. I mean, I'm pretty much through with professional sports, and I loved 
football, baseball, basketball. But they've all gone south. But the corporations that you asked about, uh, you know, they're caving in to perceive pressure. Uh, the the other side is very aggressive, very active, very demanding, and very vicious. Uh, and while, you know, we're in a spiritual war, our side are kind of nice and laid back. And, you know, if you're not bothering me, I'm not going to try to dictate to you what to do. And so they came you know, into our, that, that kind of that, pressure. That is also true. You know, we're at the end of the show, but I really appreciate all of your insight. And, and like you, I used to fly Delta and drink soda, although I couldn't have told you whether it was Coke or Pepsi. But uh, I also want to invite our listeners, if they want to find more out about you, timothyplan.com or at timothyplan. Thank you so much, Art, for joining us today. Thank you, Art. Okay, guys. And thank you. Thank you to our listeners as well. Have a wonderful, safe weekend. Please join us next week for more of Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with the Silver Lining. Have a great week and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Okay, are, are you still there? Hey. Oh, that's okay. No problem. No problem. He was great. He was great. Hey, Larry, that was awesome. He was really, really great. What a hey. fun. Yeah, and thank yeah. you, Cameron, for working thank with you, us. Thank you, Cameron. Perfect. Can't wait. Nope, it, it'll sound great. Okay, Larry, I will talk to you.